Matthew chapter 18 is all about forgiveness. Jesus is not only concerned with our relationship with him, but our relationship with our brothers. As we all draw closer to Jesus, we inevitably draw closer to each other. But with proximity comes problems. If we hope to be a community that models Jesus, we also need to model his humility and constant forgiveness. Now, humility is certainly lacking in the disciples. In verse 1, they come to Jesus asking, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And it just goes to show how mistaken their view of the Messiah was. They saw greatness in doing impressive acts, casting out demons, and wielding authority. But Jesus, calling to him a child, put him in the midst of them, and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The key characteristic that Jesus wants us to key in on is humbling ourselves. A child has no position, no status, no influence apart from their family. Likewise, we should understand that we are nothing without our father. Not only do we need to humble ourselves as a child, but we need to be gentle with our fellow family. Jesus says in verses 6 through 9 that temptations are sure to come, but woe to the one who brings them. It would be better for you to tie a giant rock around your neck and jump in the sea than to cause another to sin. Depending on your translation, you might not see the word sin. You might see things like cause to stumble or offend. Jesus is warning about any attitude or action that drives other people out of our fellowship. And this is why that humble attitude is so necessary. We can drive people away from Jesus with our pride, our harsh judgments, our unwillingness to forgive. And being unwilling to forgive is the key idea for the rest of the chapter. Verses 10 through 14 is the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus cites a common practice among shepherds. If one of the hundred goes missing, he'll go out and look for it. If we put so much effort into finding a lost sheep, shouldn't we put more effort into finding a lost brother? We can't justify the loss of that one, because 99 out of 100 isn't something to be comfortable with. Verses 15 through 20 emphasize the lengths that we should go to in order to restore that straying brother. Often we can read this from the perspective of how we discipline a sinful brother, but we should always keep in mind of what the goal is in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. We don't do these things just to punish. This is how we as Christ's church go about finding the lost sheep. It begins with that private appeal, just you and the one who's at fault. If he doesn't listen, then you bring one or two others along. If that doesn't work, then the entire church is tasked with trying to restore this brother. Only after he has refused to listen to the church is he separated from us. But even this is for the purpose of restoring him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-13, through 13, Paul is going through this exact situation. A man is unrepentant of his blatant sin. And so Paul says in verse 5, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. By delivering him to Satan, Paul is saying that Jesus and the church have no claim on him anymore. If he wants to live like the world, then the world can have him. This is for the destruction of his flesh. Not a literal death, but in the way that we put the flesh to death when repenting from our sins. Because cutting him off from the church is for the purpose of saving his spirit. And if we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5-11, through 11, we see that it worked. But for this system to work as intended, we need to ensure that our church is a community that everyone wants to be a part of. 
We need to ensure that humility is being modeled and that forgiveness is open to the penitent. The church needs to be a community that when you're in it, it feels like heaven. But when you're cast out, it feels like hell. This then raises a question from Peter in verse 21. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? It was a common attitude that you could forgive your brothers three times. Four was exceptional, but seven? Well, now you're just dripping with mercy. But in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus wants us to forgive far more than we think the other is entitled to. And by using the number 77, Jesus is probably playing off of what Lamech said in Genesis chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Lamech is someone who went to great lengths to avenge himself. And we understand and will even encourage that at times. In the movie John Wick, our titular hero, kills, interestingly enough, 77 people in his quest for revenge. Now, why is he viciously pursuing his enemy, you might ask? Well, it's because they killed his dog. And as a result, everybody's cheering for him. That drive that we have for revenge needs to be redirected into our drive for forgiveness. Jesus helps us find that drive with the parable of the unforgiving servant. The story is simple. A servant of the king owes him 10,000 talents. And that's like an ancient way of saying you owe someone a gazillion dollars. The servant begs for mercy, unable to pay even a fraction of that sum. And the king in his mercy forgives the entire debt. But then that same servant goes out and finds somebody who owes him only 100 denarii. And this man begs the servant with the same words that he himself had begged the king with. But the servant doesn't hear it and begins to choke him and throws him in prison. The king on hearing this says in verses 32 through 34, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. The point of the story is easy to grasp. We have an unpayable debt to our king, but he forgave us. How petty are we when we refuse to forgive someone who does so much less to us? The kingdom isn't great because of its power. Neither are we. We become great because of our power to forgive.